Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot, the tennis podcast by fans. I'm Joel. I'm Kim. And today we are catching up on round three at the French Open. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Kim, we are now at the halfway stage of Roland Garros. It's Sunday morning and we are going to be catching up on all the events from from round three at the French Open. We're recording this actually a little bit later than we, than we would have liked. We were going to record it Saturday evening, but ultimately, Kim, uh, I was playing a bit of hockey, ended up in the pub and was watching the French Open on my phone. So I realised that wasn't going to be realistic. So we're going to be recording uh, Sunday morning and... You know, round four is already underway and already we might have potentially a massive upset uh, on the cards. Yes, Iga Sriontek is, as, as I'm speaking, she's got a break point to go a double break up in the second set. And she took the first set 6-1 against Halep. Like, she is playing lights out tennis. She can't really put a foot wrong right now. Um, I'm just wondering how, how long she could keep it up. I, I feel like this is a crucial game if Halep can just hold here we could quickly see a reversal of fortunes and it'll be interesting because we haven't, I haven't particularly seen too much of Iga Sviontek. I know she's up and coming, but she's really, you know, she is really quite something, Joel. And uh, it'll be interesting to see when she gets into like the crunch stage, if she can keep it up. So yeah, we'll have our, our eyes on this one while we're, while we're catching up on the last two days, I think. Yeah. Because I mean, if what Halep beat her really comprehensively, uh, in the competition last year, I think like love and one, and it's almost a bit of a a role reversal. But um, yeah, let's see, let's see how that develops. Who knows? It might be the the biggest talking point we have on our round four catch up. Um, but let's let's look on, let's look back on round three because there were upsets there, and we we did probably get the biggest upset of the competition so far across the the men and women, and that was Dan Vavrinka versus French wildcard and world-ranked 239 player Hugo Gaston. Gaston coming through in five sets. I think we were all kind of going into round three, you know, licking our lips at the prospect of Team Vavrinka in the fourth round. Um, and we almost kind of forgot, I think, that they, you know, they both had tricky opponents in the in the third round, you know, Team with, with Kasper Rude. Um, but yeah, I mean, Vavrinka out, uh, you know that that did that that surprised me, and to be bageled as well. I mean, he he got bageled against uh, against Massetti, uh, you know, a few a few weeks ago. Um, it's, it's becoming a bit of a habit, uh, you, you know, giving up a bagel, giving up a six love set to um, you know to someone outside the the top two hundred. Maybe it's his new mission in life to to be a, of service to young up and coming <laughs> players. Um, but yeah, I totally surprising. You know, Stan took the first set six two, and I think everyone was probably correct to think, oh, this is going to be you know a bit of a standard uh, straight sets job here. But uh, 
yeah, this Hugo Gaston, who I've I've never heard of before. You know, he's a wild card. Um, he's into the fourth round and yeah, came back. And I mean, the manner of that fifth set was, I think, what surprised me the most. If he'd have grabbed it, I don't know, 10-8 in the fifth, that would be way more understandable. But six love, I mean, Stan, Stan just, I mean, wasn't obviously at his best. He was, he was far from it. And um Gaston, there was a bit of a crowd there. I think Garcia's match had finished. So they kind of all were kind of collecting in um, Suzanne Longlon. And it, it did have a bit more of an atmosphere to it as well, which I think did help Gaston. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's a lefty, Joel, Gaston. He's only 20. He, uh, you know, has never played at Roland Garros before. And I'm just thinking, is, is he the new Rafa? Like, is something going to emerge here? Like, I don't know, just the fact that he's left-handed uh, made me sort of... Uh, open my eyes a bit more but um yeah I'm, I'm intrigued to see how he will fare against Dominic team because I really don't think he will have a very good day against team I, I can't see Gaston kind of I don't know keeping that form up you know he obviously played the match of his life against Stan and I I, I think that's going to be a bit of a bit of a once-off for now I'm sure he's got a lot of potential and, and future kind of performances to come but uh yeah it, it was it was really exciting to see but I, I do feel a bit I, I was a bit annoyed because I was, I was, I felt like we'd been denied, you know, the the team stand for uh, fourth round that we'd all kind of been looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, with Gaston, I think you know the, the French crowd certainly were loving it, and you know, you do wonder are they clamouring for someone to kind of fill, you know, the boots of someone like a, uh, you know, Jay Wilfried Songa, Gail Monfils, and whether Gaston, Gaston is that person because you know we all you know French tennis in terms of you know how how many players they produce but rarely do they have players that can kind of go into the you know the top 10 the top five and be you know truly kind of a world beater and you know to have someone come on the scene like Gaston announce himself you know in the way that he has as a French Open wild card um, you know getting to the getting to the fourth round and let's see how he does um you know it's it's probably it's absolutely great for them to see it almost kind of reminds me of when you know Andy Murray kind of broke onto the scene as a you know an up-and-coming player which we didn't really know too much about I mean Gaston is um you know he was the Australian Open junior champion in 2018 so he has some sort of pedigree but um yeah he was just you know I mean it's just kind of watching the highlights he just looks like he's quite a mu- I felt like he was quite a muscular sort of player quite was quite beefy and I was quite surprised by the sort of the versatility he had from the back of the court. He was creating lots of different angles um, and mixing that up with his, his ground strokes and, and Vavrinka really didn't have, um, it was, it was just kind of really kind of playing catch up really from, um, from that kind of, you know, certainly in the, in the latter stages of the match and, you know, to lose that final set six love, yeah, very, very surprising. And, you know, it does, it does kind of, I think, raise the question in terms of, you know, Vavrink has obviously been on the circuit, um, you know, a lot longer now. And, you know, when he does come up against, you know, these, these younger players, does he have the, you know, you know, does he, you know, standable? Does he now, does he actually have the, the sta- stamina to, to match these younger guys now? Because, you know, based on, on this, the fact that he, you know, gave up, well, you know, he gave up a six love set to, um, so he gave up a six love set to Gaston. He gave up a six love set to, to Massetti as well. Um, you know, it just, I think just shows you that, um, you know, maybe, you know, Vavrinka isn't the, you know, 
it maybe he's sort of kind of entering the twilight of his career in the sense that, you know, now that he's not able to kind of live with the, these young guys, the further on we get into a match and, you know, maybe he'll feel more pressure to kind of close out these matches before they, um, before they even get to a fifth because he might not have the, the stamina to last. Yeah, he's on his way out, isn't he, Joel? <laughs> Let's face it. No. Um, yeah, he, I mean, he's had his injury battles. You know, he hasn't been in the form that he was, you know, when he was winning slams. That, you know, that was very much the peak of his career. And I mean, I, I, I don't think he would have beaten Dominic Team had they, had they played in the fourth round. I think Team is, you know, at, you know, at his peak or like close to his peak. And, you know, he's obviously a different kettle of fish at the moment, I think. But, um, it would have been interesting. But yes, I mean, I think Stan on his day can still, you know, pr- produce a, a lights out performance, but uh, whether he'd be able to consistently do that is, is another thing. You know, he, he I, I mean, this match, there was a long rain delay, so I don't know how much that helped uh, Gaston, perhaps. They they did stop for about two and a half hours um, once they just kind of started a couple of games into the third set. So it was a match of two halves, you know, it was, it was uh, that might have affected things perhaps. Um but, you know, these things happen. And, and on the same day, we had, uh, you know, another guy who was ranked, you know, outside the top 200, making it through to the fourth round, uh, Joel, and that's Seb Corder. So he actually came through, I think, a few hours before Hugo Gaston. He's playing uh, Rafa in a moment uh, today. So that's going to be it's going to be interesting. Uh, we haven't actually had... Uh, these guys ranked such, you know, so lowly since I think the 2004 Australian Open um, when Guillermo Cañas reached uh, that that stage. So this, this is like new kind of records being broken with a lot of lower ranked players coming through. And, you know, we've seen that a bit in the women's side of things as well. And I mean, perhaps this is a as a result of, you know, the fact that Roland Garros is being played in October and we've had a big lockdown and delay and, you know, all the COVID stuff. So, it's interesting to, to to see these guys come through, though, and it, it does it does, I guess, um, give more hope, perhaps, to to people who do have you know currently a, a very low ranking. And if you're given the right opportunity and you can put a few matches under your belt and put them all together, then uh, then why not? It's funny because that that record that's stood for so long, like a decade plus, um, it got um, yeah, it it changed twice. It changed twice in in the space of a couple of hours because Seb Corder was two hundred and thirteenth in the in the world and and got through to got through to the last sixteen, um, and then yeah, and then followed by by Gaston. I mean, just a kind of a word on Corder because you know, obviously, we know that he become he comes from a a sporting family. I mean, his dad won the Australian Open, I think, in 1998. And I think he was his dad was a finalist at Roland Garros as well. So, you know, he's got, yeah, good tennis genes in him. He's got good tennis genes. I think I genuinely, I was kind of reading up on his, on, on the quarter family. And like, I think his brother and sister, I think they're golfers as well. He plays off a handicap of two or three. So yeah, they definitely got kind of good sp- sporting genes in there. And um, yeah, it was funny to read, um, you know, Corder in, you know, he's obviously an ambitious guy because he was talking about, you know, what he would like to achieve in tennis with, um, with the press. And he was like, I just want to beat my dad. I want to win two grand slabs. I want to beat my dad. <laughs> um, and so I can rub it in his face. Um, but um, yeah, no, he's been playing um, some excellent tennis. I don't think anyone would have, again, thought, um, you know, the last, a last American standing, uh, you know, would, would be a quarter. I don't think anyone would have said, you know, the last you know, French 
uh, Frenchman standing would have been would have been Gaston. Um, so it's really quite um, it's really quite almost kind of a breath of fresh air, really. And you know, we did have Corda versus Isner, where Corda won in in four sets and. Um, yeah, he just has a, you know, he just has a really good game. It's similar to, I think it's kind of, from what I've been reading, it's sort of similar to, um, his dad. Um, he is, uh, a right, a right-handed player and, um, you know, plays in the back of the court, is able to generate quite, uh, good power from a player with a sort of wiry frame, which is similar to, to his, um, similar to his dad. But, um, yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, he'll, he'll be feeling very good about himself and he gets to play, his idol, he gets to play Rafael Nadal next. And um, <laughs> hilariously, he, he came out in his press conference and said he named his cat after after Rafa. I love that. That is so good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I think Serena Williams also um, has a dog named after Rafa as well or something. So, I mean, I'm, I'm loving all these players who are named Kim, why don't you have Rafa. a cat named after Rafa? I mean, you love him so much. so I do, but I'm not really a pet. I'm not, I'm not, I'd have a teddy bear called Rafa. I'm just not really a, like, I'm not really a pet person. <laughs> but um, yes, uh, no, Seth Calder will be interesting to see how he fares up uh, today against Rafa. Um, we also had yesterday world number 186, Joel, Daniel Altmaier, beating Matteo Berrettini in straight sets in, in the third round. So you know, this is a, a young German guy. I think, you know, he, he was quite promising, I think, a few years ago. A few people were talking about him, but he's had a lot of injuries, quite serious injuries. So it's really nice, you know, that he's managed to kind of come back and, and kind of get through those. And now he's, you know, uh, rightly perhaps uh, at the stage of a Grand Slam where he always felt he was maybe meant to be. Um, he's playing Pablo Carreno Busta next. Um, but, yeah, he was very impressive against Berrettini. Um, I mean, Berrettini is one of those players where, you know, I know he's reached semifinals of, of the US Open last year and, you know, he's a top 10 player. Um, but, you know, I, I never sort of would be uh, that surprised, you know, by by him going out early in a slam. I'm, he's not one of those players that you would have your money on to, to kind of consistently be getting to the latter stages of, of a slam. So I think it probably was quite a good good person for Altmaier to play. And I think, I certainly think he could he could continue that against PCB. Um but yeah, he's 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 the fifth qualifier since 2000 to reach the stage of a Grand Slam. So, you know what he must have now won six matches on the trot. So, uh, you know, can it continue? We will see. It's interesting looking at that list of uh, qualifiers to to have kind of follow, to to have reached this stage as well because it. It does seem to be a bit of a theme at Roland Garros. I mean, David Goffin in in 2012, I think we'll all remember that. Londero, 2019, Roland Garros. And then obviously Seb Corder as well this year. All qualifiers to to reach the second week of of a major. But um, yeah, I mean, I was just, again, watching a bit of Altmaier on uh, on YouTube. And it was funny to, to watch because from what I understand, he literally modeled his game, I think, growing up. Um, you know, and on the circuit on Stan Wawrinka. Uh, yeah. If you watch, it's a very, very similar game, very, very almost identical um, single handed backhand. Um, and yeah, he likes to play aggressive from the, you know, the back of the court. And uh, yeah, he, he's even, I think he's even adopted the sort of finger point upwards um, with the, you know, the victory salute. Um, 
<laughs> and instead of saying Ale Ale Stan, he says Ale Dan, uh, which yeah. I thought was quite funny. <laughs> He's really taking his uh, idolization to to the next level. Hmm. But I mean, does but does he have a cat? Does he have a cat called Stan or a dog well, called that's, Stan? That's a big question. You know? <laughs> I mean, maybe he should. Maybe he should be looking to go following in Seb Corder's footsteps in that in that respect. But um, yeah, he looks. Um, yeah, he looked. He looked very good against against Berrettini. One thing I would say though, and I don't know if we'll see it against um in i don't know if we'll see it as much in the next round but he does have a um slightly delayed grunt uh grunting action uh on on the court which i noticed as a fan and it it felt like i don't know if some play you know his opponents uh, coming up might get a bit annoyed because um his grunt does feel like it gets to the point of where it could be potential hindrance to the other player hitting their shot um so that was just one thing i kind of noted as a fan kind of watching um watching uh, some of the highlights but um yeah great result against berrettini and yeah making you know getting to the fourth round and you know for a player who you know has probably been on you know the challenger circuit over the last well i know he's been on the challenger circuit you know coming into roland garros this will be great in terms of kind of getting prize money and, and being able to kind of you know, exist and to thrive on, on the tour. And, um, you know, I think in the kind of the build up, he was kind of saying that, you know, the, the challenger circuit really kind of helped him be battle ready, um, for the French Open. And I think we forget that, you know, a lot of kind of top, top players were just kind of milling about in the, the challenger circuit rather than playing in, you know, the United States. And I think, you know, Altmaier in, in that process played, you know, people like, uh, Cuevas. He played Musetti as well. And, you know, he kind of said, you know, Musetti, he, he beat me in straight sets one week and then I had to play him again in a, in a challenger the following week. And it was a role reversal and that gave him really great belief kind of going into to Roland Garros that he could do some damage. So, um, yeah, it's, it's great to see. And, um, we're seeing, we're seeing more players add their name to this kind of next gen, uh, you know, <laughs> this next gen, uh, bubble or, or whatever. Cause you know, we've got Gaston, got Altmaier. Bubbles. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very covid term to use for well, yeah, exactly <laughs> that, um, but yeah but yeah, yeah. it does feel genuinely i mean it does i think you know I, I hope there's not a flash in the pan but it feels right at you know right now at this moment if you look at the you know the draw for round four it does suggest that you know the, the next gen pot of players is growing and, and we're having you know these sorts of players you know throw their you know throw their hat in the ring and you know obviously musetti as well um looks a very good prospect so let's Let's see how they develop. Um, I, I mean, another another player in that in that group um, who's having a very good tournament hasn't dropped a set all week. Uh, Yannick Sinner, um, who's been you know who's looked very good, um, and playing Zverev uh, next. So that'll be, I think, a, the biggest test I think for him. You know, the people he's he's played. I mean, I know he beat Goffin in the first round, but since then he's sort of had Bonzi and Coria. So um, he's managed to come through those straight sets, but I th- I'm I'm intrigued to see what he's going to do against Zverev. I mean, yeah, I, I'm 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 excited for that today, and and also another Italian that we've got. Um, I, I'm not as excited for for this particular match. It's it's Lorenzo Sonego who's playing Diego Schwartzman, but um, Sonego in his third round against Taylor Fritz, they had an epic tiebreak, Joel. I'm not sure if you if you saw it, but it was, uh, it was the third set tie break and it was, uh, just two points shy of, um, 
of the longest tiebreak, I guess, played in recent history, which was between Songa and Roddick at the 2007 Australian Open, which was 38 points. This was a 36-point tiebreak, and Sonego won it 19-17 to close out that match. And, uh, yeah, I think Fritz was was ruining his his chances afterwards because he had, uh, I think, nine set points to have taken that match into a fourth. So, <laughs> I mean, I, 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 I was sort of, I think uh, the TV kept going to it. They were like, it's still going on. And then they went back to the other match and then they were like, <laughs> yeah. and it's still going on. We don't have a result yet. Um, which just made me laugh. So, I mean, Lorenzo Sonego, like he's just inside the top 50. I don't really know an awful lot about him, but you know, he's another Italian player that's kind of got through and is, you know, in the latter stages of a slam, you know, second week for the first time. And, I think it's nice that we do have like slightly newer names coming through because often you see these names pop up on your live scores app, but you might never have got to see them, you know, in person or on the telly. They just don't get the, the coverage, do they? So it's nice to be able to like then put a face to the name and to kind of have a, a wider kind of knowledge, I guess, of, of kind of lower ranked players. And um, like you were saying about the challenger circuit, you know, I think really what we should be doing is scouring all the results from those uh, kind of in the month prior to a grand slam and see who is kind of getting all those wins and doing really well, because that is quite a good predictor perhaps of, of someone who is going to qualify or get a wild card or something at a slam. And you, cause often you find that when you look back at, you know, players who kind of make a surprise run, you think, Oh, actually, the signs were there because they were getting a lot of victories, you know, in the Challey circuit in the run up. And I don't know, it's, it's quite a good indicator, perhaps. Yeah. And I think it just shows as well. I think, you know, there's a clear, you know, there is a clear pathway between, you know, the challenger circuit and the, you know, the ATP circuit. And, you know, a lot of these players are, are proof of that. And you know, I think there is, you know, I think there would be some people who almost kind of feel like the challenger circuit kind of exists um you know you know separately to the aptp towards you know for the players who aren't able to break into the you know the top 100 for example but um you know i definitely show that i think definitely think this tournament has shown that there is that um that transitional nature to um you know from uh, you know yeah from challenger to to you know the main tour and um yeah it's it's great to see but um let's let's kind of quickly kind of touch on the big three i mean they've been not really been any alarm bells too far i mean in round three probably the the biggest kind of popcorn match we were we were looking at was um you know dominic team versus casper rude casper rude been in fantastic form on the clay so far this season but again team team was there team was there and, and waiting for him team won in, in three straight sets um it was a little bit more complicated than that but um yeah team just seems to be raising his game at the you know when when he needs it and i think you know kind of looking at the match and watching it casper rude did not play a bad game at all he played a very good game but he was playing dominic team that was, that was the kind of problem and dominic team I've, yeah, Dominic team looks very, very good for a player who has had a, you know, a crazy kind of quick turnaround from, you know, being US Open champion, being a Grand Slam champion for the, you know, for the very first time to, you know, to, you know, Roland Garros. And, you know, just kind of wondering whether actually the lack of time that he's had to kind of go, f- you know, from, New York to Paris. I wonder if that means that it's actually he's not actually had time to think about all of this and not actually had time for all of this to sink in and whether that's helping him just kind of focus on his game and focus on the the next match because 
he's been he's been coming through potential potential banana skins with you know with Chilich, you know Rude, um, with yeah with consummate ease, and um, it, it does he does it does look like we're potentially heading towards the uh you know the team Nadal showdown in the in the semi-finals we were probably eyeing up be- before the tournament. I know it's it's he's coming through very calm and controlled and I mean Casper Ruud that first set you know he had uh break points I think on pretty much all of team service games it, it was it was quite a, a close affair and you know it would have been good I think for that match if Ruud had taken the first set but um obviously team did not let that happen and then the second and third sets were sort of a bit more par for the course but uh yeah I mean he's you don't as a, I don't know, for team fans, I don't think they need to worry about their man having like a, a sudden sort of off day, really. he's He does seem very measured and, and calm about things. You know, haven't seen any indication of kind of any sort of mental jadedness uh, from New York. So, yeah, we, we'll see. And um, I mean, Djokovic as well, no signs of, of any kind of, I don't know, impetus from that the, the default in, in the US Open he is just swanning his way through the draw I mean he barely has lost games he, he's just looking imperious so yeah I think I was reading a stat earlier saying he has dropped he has dropped the least number he's equaled the record for the least number of games dropped um in the first three rounds with Rafa I think he's only dropped like 15 15 games or something and yeah he's just been in absolutely imperious form i mean galan was literally a lamb to the slaughter really uh if we're being really honest um <laughs> yeah it was uh it was very it was very routine another one you could another match like Barankis i could have probably watched on my lunch break and it'd be over um before i finished but uh yeah i mean djokovic is gonna have you know tougher tests to come but it does it does feel like um, there's a sense of inevitability that you know he will reach the final with consummate ease, and we all know we all know how you know Djokovic is you know one of those competitors who becomes into his own when he has to react to, to adversity, um, and you know the French Open is proving that he's raised he's raised his level, he's been able to kind of shut out all the events uh, and the aftermath of of New York you know, from his system and just kind of get on with it. And, you know, it's kind of really, it comes from reading an interesting debate on like, you know, can we, can, should we be forgetting about the, you know, that incident now and just kind of being moving on? Because, you know, it's quite clear from Novak Djokovic, his mindset and his tennis that he wants to move on. Um, but I don't, I mean, I, I personally don't think as fans or, you know, the tennis world, I don't think we should be moving on from that moment just yet but I can see why you know Djokovic wants to you know kind of get out of his system and and yeah just kind of get get back to you know doing what he does best and that's you know potentially winning winning Grand Slam titles. Yeah I think there's a time and a place and I think you know if he were to keep bringing it up in press conferences he's just going to get annoyed and I think you know to a certain extent you just need to put it to bed now um but I, th- I think, you know, he's letting his tennis doing the talking at the moment and so be it. So um, let's um, have a short break now, Joel, and then we'll be back uh, very quickly to talk about the women's side of things. OK, Joel, so Simona Halep uh, is one game away from going out the tournament. Uh 
I think she's six one five two down. Shviontek uh, oh, wow. will wow. be serving for it um, once they've done the change of ends. Um, I mean, we can reflect on uh, Halep's third round match because she seemed to be in imperious fashion there, destroying Amanda Nisimova, <laughs> uh, who had beaten her last year. But I feel like that's irrelevant now because she's about to go out of the tournament. <laughs> Kim, I've literally written on the script, Halep's still looking the hot favourite. Oh, um, no. This is very dated now. But, like, like uh, ge- genuinely, she looks so good. I mean, Anisimova, you know, Anisimova, sorry, Anisimova beat Halep um, at the French Open last year. But this year, I mean, she won love and won in 54 minutes. It was again another match. I could, I watched, I genuinely, I watched on my lunch break on Friday, um, and it was over in a flash. Um, Halep just was, she was just looking great. And, um, you know, she wasn't giving Anna Samova the opportunities that she afforded her, um, you know, the previous year. Um, she said in a kind of match, com- uh, a press conference about the fact that she felt that she hit kind of the balls too short. Uh, to Anderson over last year. And as a result of that, they just kind of sat up for her to be, for her to be hit. So she made sure that she worked on her length this time around, not to give those, uh, those moments to, to Anderson over. And, um, yeah, I mean, Anderson over's facial expressions really just said it all really. Cause she just didn't know. She just didn't really have a response. And she was like, you know, who, who am I playing against? Cause yeah, Halep was just like absolutely on fire. But, you know, I guess, you know, in a tournament of, of upsets and, uh, you know, things happening that we, we weren't expecting to, it, it sounds like Halep might be, might be next in line to, to, to feel that. Yeah. It's, oh, it's annoying. I really wanted to smell Halep to, um, to win this tournament, but I mean, Sviontek, Sviontek, sorry. It's, it's quite hard getting to grips with her name. I have to say, Joe, I, I don't want to do her, do her a disservice. Um, <laughs> getting stressed around saying it. Um, you know, she has just played, um, unbelievable like there's not really an awful lot Halep could have done I mean I, this is where I guess maybe there's an argument for best of five because perhaps Halep could have figured out a way to come through this Sviontek might have you know dropped her level um but obviously in, in a best of three match you know you're in and out in yeah just over an hour so Halep's on a 17 match win streak I mean I know I know that's about to end in about 10 seconds time I think but I mean in just over 12 hours or so we've had basically the two favourites for the title lose because last night Garbina Muguruza lost in the third set from three love up to Danielle Collins now this match it was a bit weird because they started on Suzanne Longlon outdoors then had to move to Chatrier to finish it under the roof um it was seven five two six six four to Collins and we know Danielle Collins is like you know, such a fighter. She never gives up. She like, you know, she's she's aggro personified on court, isn't she? She's she's very vocal. Um, so fair play to her. You know, she's into the fourth round for the first time here. We know she got to that semi at AO last year. Um, but yeah, I, I was not expecting. I mean, when when I saw Muguruza was three love up, I was I thought, oh, you know, she's uh, she'll, she'll come through now. But uh, yeah, quickly turned around. You would have expected Muguruza three love up final set to to be able to close that out, but obviously Danielle Collins had had other ideas, and she is a bit of a you know she is a bit of a danger I, you know a danger player in the draw. She does have this knack of you know of taking out kind of favourites and and seeds. You know, kind of you know you were talking about Australian Open twenty nineteen. You know, she had that match against Kerber and just kind of completely um, you know upset. Um, 
upset a Grand Slam champion there. She's upset Muguruza um, here. And yeah, she's into the round of 16 for the first time at the French Open. I mean, she will face Ons Jabor next in the fourth round. Uh, another sort of player, you know, we had eyes on at uh, the, the US Open, actually. And um, I mean, she took out Sabalenka. And yeah, I mean, Collins, Jabor, that could be a very, uh, that could be a very aggressive match from the back of the court, couldn't it? But uh, I mean, yeah, Collins, again, we were just kind of talking about on the men's side, like, you know, players, you know, American players, maybe at this stage, we were still kind of thinking maybe we'll kind of be focusing on Serena Williams. But in terms of the, the, in terms of the women, I mean, we've got, we're left with, you know, Daniel Collins and, and Kenin. Um, and, you know, Kenin really, really after that double bagel in, in Rome, we were just kind of, you know, writing her off completely. But, um, it, it seems that, you know, everything is, everything is sort of falling into place, uh, you know, in that bottom half for someone to, you know, to, to kind of, yeah, to to go deep, and it, and it might be Kenin, it could be Kvitova. Um, they they are, I think, the the two highest seeds kind of left in that bottom half. But yeah, it's certainly even more. I mean, this, is this the most wide open French Open in the women's side we've had in well in, in Since recent last memory? Year. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, even though, like, it's it's. I just, mean, yeah. oh well, okay. Halep has now lost, so Shvontek is through. Um, I mean, Sviontek, she could go and win this whole thing if she keeps this form up because she's barely dropped any games, really. I mean, she she beat Von Drusseva in the first round very comfortably. Uh, she beat Bouchard in the last round. I can't remember who she played in the second round. Um, but let me just have a look. But um, just it's so, like, now that Halep's open, I think everyone else is going to be like, ah, like, there's a real chance here. Oh, she beat Su Wei Shea in the second round. So, you know, Strontek's come through very comfortably against some tr- tricky opponents, and obviously beaten, you know, the number one seed just now. So, is she the favourite? I mean, I just don't know, Joel, honestly. No I one's mean, the favourite. No we, like- <laughs> we were saying that Ostapenko could go and win the whole thing. She lost to Paola Badosa in straight sets yesterday. So, I just, I'm not going to make any predictions anymore. Um, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> One thing, though, just going back to Danielle Collins, I didn't know this, but she is now coached by Nicolas Almagro, which is interesting. Um, so I, that seems to be quite an odd partnership, but obviously he's kind of gone into coaching now and I don't know, maybe it's paying off somehow. Like I do think there is, there's been a trend of coaching on the uh, on the women's tour of players like adapting more like ATP style tactics and um stroke play into their game um in terms of you know heavy top spin aggression back of the court etc which you know these are qualities you know we would associate with amagro you know in his playing day and wonder whether that you know he's he's been able to kind of translate that across into the women's game with danielle collins because um she really is kind of like a you know, she's almost kind of doing a Jen Brady sort of at the moment, um, you know, at the, at the US Open. And, um, yeah, she's playing, she's playing very, very well. I mean, just kind of looking at that bottom half, I just kind of, the fact that Muguruza is out, as I said, Kvitova and Kenin are, I think, the, the tiest seeds. I mean, Kvitova is the number seven seed. She beat Leila Annie Fernandez, Canadian teenager, in her third round. She's yet to drop a set in Paris. 
I mean, 90th career main draw victory on clay. We all know Kvitova at Grand Slams. I mean, I feel like we've been saying this sort of every every single time and she doesn't really, she always, she ha, she does a little bit, but doesn't really go that far. But I mean, she has looked very good in this tournament. And, um, you know, that win over Fernandez really kind of, you know, I think, you know, it, yeah, I think as if Kvitter is still there kind of going further into the tournament, I think more and more people will look at her and think if there is a favorite, it it might be it might it might be Kvitova. I mean, who who do you see if it, you know, now Simona Halep's out, now Muguruza is out. Who do you think anyone would be installed as the as the as the, the top favorite as top dog? Oh, it's so tricky, Joe. I don't know. Um I I'm intrigued to see if Sviontek can keep this form up that she produced today. Um I, I could say her. <laughs> Otherwise I'm I mean Sophia Kenin could could surprise us all. Like she you know, she had two sort of pretty bad uh first you know, first or second round. She didn't play that well. She got through it, she won ugly. As the saying goes, perhaps she'll just play herself into form and I mean, that wouldn't surprise me either. I don't know. I mean, I'm really hoping that Caroline Garcia could go and win, but that's very, very unlikely. But, um, you know, it was great to watch her against um, Elise Mertens the other day because, you know, had actually felt like there was a proper crowd, proper atmosphere in Shatria. You know, the roof was closed. I think there was, a, you know, there were no, there was no other plagues for the rain. So basically, every lot of the spectators, I guess, they they had come into Chatrier, and you know, the first set Garcia was awful. Um, could barely get a ball in court, and you thought, oh, this is not really gonna go very well. And she just managed to turn it around, and and I think you know the crowd really helped with that, and um, it just it was so nice to actually hear, you know, atmosphere. I felt like it was almost like an away Fed Cup tie in some. I don't know, tiny place somewhere where you've got like a, a select group of traveling fans who are like bringing it and, uh, you know, getting the player over the finish line. But um, yeah, she, I mean, she plays Svitolina today. So, you know, Svitolina's a very consistent player. So I, I, I do think that would be quite a challenge, but um I mean, that would be a nice story, wouldn't it? If Garcia could do. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Svitolina has looked also quite good. I mean, she had that, I think she's dropped one set against uh, Renata Zarazua. Yeah, um, but I mean, Svitolina's also looked looked very good. Just on that Garcia match, though, because yeah, it was interesting to hear the roar of the the, the Parisian fans. You know, for me, almost kind of like the first time, um, you know, at at the tournament, which was which was great. And you know, I did it did kind of cross my mind in terms of kind of Garcia and her career, and you know, whether she kind of felt the. You know the weight of the expectation from, you know, have you know when she plays in Paris of having you know a full crowd expecting her to win and whether that pressure was too much and you know the fact that you know with the crowd here being socially distanced and limited to, uh, you know, five hundred people or so I think five hundred spectators or so you know whether that means that the pressure is off a bit and actually it makes it it almost kind of normalizes the experience for Garcia you know at Paris so she's not having to you know, think about the, you know, the crowd as much and like, yes, the, the crowd is there. Um, but you know, they're not, it doesn't feel like they're kind of like bearing down on her as much in a more, in almost kind of like an intimidating fashion than say now where, you know, it, it's not a, you know, it's not a full capacity and, um, yeah. And whether she's almost kind of whether she's reveling in that because, you know, she she did drop that first set six one, but I mean, then she came through six four seven five. It was just, um, yeah, it was just really thrilling, thrilling to watch and hear the hear the roar of the crowd. 
I know, and Garcia, you know, we know she struggles to close out matches and she finally did it, I think, <laughs> oh, yeah. on her, her sixth match point. And I think I was messaging you like, oh, for Christ's sake, come on. Like, Did she serve for it? She served for it at 5-4, didn't she? Yes, she did. And then, you know, Mertens um, got the break back and then, you know, Garcia managed to do it. At, so, you know, she broke Mertens and then managed to serve it out. But... Oh lordy, she does go. She does put you know put you through the ringer, um, but <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I just oh, I don't know. We, we will see. We will see. I mean, let's look at the other players that we've got. We've we've got um, an interesting match coming up today with Podoroska, who is a Argentinian qualifier, ranked 131 in the world. She she's of Ukrainian ancestry, but she's Argentinian. Um, but she's She's uh yeah become the first Argentinian woman since Gisela Dorke. That's a name from the past uh, to reach the fourth round in Paris. But she is playing Barbora Krejcikova in the fourth round, who is just also outside the top hundred at one one four. Um, she beat Peronkova in the third round, uh, much to the dismay of Peronkova fans. I think that was over three sets. So I mean, either one of them is going to be in the quarterfinal for the first time, and. Well, we know Krejcikova is more of a, a, a doubles player. Um, you know, she's she's world number nine in doubles. But I mean, I think she's you know, like most people, they always intended to to be a singles player. And I think like she's kind of been focusing more on doubles lately. And kind of I, she was talking about how stressed she she was kind of not being able to make it on the singles platform on the single side of things. And she's kind of removed that anxiety away from her and just kind of thought, okay, let's just see what happens. And and here she is. Um, so I guess that's that's paid off, kind of taking a slightly different approach and just kind of being a bit easier on herself. I was just going to say, Kim, a, a great story because Krachichkova, um, I mean, her former coach was Jana Novotna and um, she beat Peronkova on what would have been... Uh, Jana Novotna's 52nd birthday. So really nice kind of, um, you know, ode and, um, you know, moment, I guess, for, you know, for, for Czech Republic tennis, because, um, yeah, it's just, um, you know, we know Jana Novotna was a great, you know, clay court player. And, um, yeah, to have, you know, her, um, you know, to have one of her players, Krachichkova, come through, um, you know, it's it's great for Czech tennis. And it's interesting you talk about the, you know, that singles and doubles divide because, you know, we we have seen it happen in the past. You know, I I, I, mean, I always kind of remember, you know, uh, Barbora Strichkova when she beat Konta at, at Wimbledon. We know that she was, you know, a gr- she's a great uh, doubles player and she was able to do it, um, you know, in, in singles as well, particularly at that tournament. I think she won the... I think did she get she got to the semis I think in the in the singles but won the the ladies doubles I think um but certainly um you know it, it, it's it's I think that just kind of gives evidence to show that you know just because you do make it as a doubles player I don't think you should just kind of forget about you know singles entirely mm. and um you know I okay. don't think she would have been going into the tournament and and thinking uh, you know, I, I might reach the you know, the second week, but it just shows. I think it just shows you that you know, if you you can apply yourself, um, you know, to a de- to admittedly a quite a different discipline, um, y- you can go far. And I think you know, particularly at the moment, like in the you know the men's game, there are opportunities here for for these sorts of fringe players that we don't really know much of to give themselves a bit of a platform um and and go deep in the tournament i mean you know one of those is going to be in the in the quarterfinals that's going to be very you know nice uh you know nice nice amount of prize money in, in the bank account and um yeah it'll be um it'll be interesting to see um 
I mean, oh, yeah, I feel like we're slowly running out of favourites in the in the, in the women's <laughs> bag of the French Open. Though, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it just well could be. I mean, we we know the French Open has had its share of, you know, surprise finalists, surprise winners even. You know, I don't think, you know, when I just kind of remember when, you know, Ostapenko won, no one was really kind of expecting that. So absolutely, who knows you know who who it could be i mean another player also that that went out that you know potentially could have been you know a danger player kind of going forward was uh maria sakari who um who had match points but lost to martina trevisan trevisan are we saying that correctly kim i i've heard multiple i've heard trevisan and trevisan so i i either one or i think it might be trevisan um she is playing at the moment as well. And she is a set and well, a set up on Kiki Burton's and it's three all in the second set. So um, yeah, going on a bit of a run here. I mean, she beat Coco Goff. She then goes and beats Maria Sakari, saving match points in the second set tie break. She loves a comeback. She loves a late night. I mean, she's not on a, she's not playing on a late night right now. Um, <laughs> and she's up. So <laughs> we'll see what happens. But yeah, yet again, you know, another, another player who, has been around for a while and uh, is is finally kind of is coming together and we're getting to see her and you know she's a, a new name we'll all kind of know what what she you know who she is now when we see her kind of appear on draw sheets and such like I mean it's very open. One match we haven't really talked about we talked about Kenin but we we forget to talk about her opponent uh, Fiona Ferro, um French player as well. She I mean she arguably is probably the most most informed players i guess on the you know on clay at the moment i mean she won the um she won uh what kim might forget to me which she, she won palermo. the first tournament play. Palermo. Palermo. <laughs> she won palermo on the clay um you know at the beginning um of the wta season post lockdown i mean if i was to put i mean if i was to put my money on it i feel like i want to say the winner of Ferro versus kenin could get to the final. I think Pharaoh is in really good, you know, good shape. I mean, she beat, obviously she beat, she came through Heather Watson in, in the first round, but um, she's not really looked back. And I think she's on a bit of a win streak as well. Um, I think she's going to be a very difficult player mm. to stop. Um, true, true. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all to play for. I think every player in that women's draw um apart from well apart from Simona Halep um in in the uh sorry in the in the fourth in the fourth round draw will look and think they've got a chance of creating a surprise creating a shock um you know I mean I guess yeah we'll we'll just have to wait and see I mean I we're think we're lost for said, words Joel <laughs> we're lost for words it's surprising I, I know. it's certainly it's more the... up in the air than in the in the in the men's side where I think certainly in that top half it feels a little bit of a procession and even so in the bottom half it still feels like a little bit of a procession to a you know all paths lead to a a team a team nadal semi-final showdown yeah it's uh well it's uh i mean if only joe conta was flying around in the mix somewhere that would be that'd be nice wouldn't it um i mean collector set is also still to play for um I know we had Muguruza as our one of our candidates for collector set, but uh, <laughs> obviously not many people got that right. Uh, but a big shout out to Liz Curran, who got Muguruza right, uh, that she would reach the round, uh, the third round and then lose. And also Tennis Itis, 
who is at Chipoki on Twitter. So well done. They were the only two to get Muguruza right. And then all our men are still left in the, in the draw. So we've still got uh, to wait for what they do. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, Rafa's just come out on court, Joel. So I think I'm going to go and have a late breakfast and watch a bit of, uh, Rafa play, uh, against, you know, his, uh, well, against, the guy who idolizes him so much. <laughs> yes. Uh, well, I'll let you, I'll let you go and watch, uh, Rafa versus Corda. Um, but yes, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this latest episode of uh, round by round coverage at the French Open um, if you have been enjoying listening to us make sure you hit that subscribe button on your podcasting platform of choice whether that's Apple Podcasts Spotify Overcast Castbox Stitcher wherever you listen to us make sure you hit that subscribe button and if you have been enjoying our content make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. And you can follow us on social media, on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook at Passing Shot Pod. And if you'd like to also email us, you can do so uh, via PassingShotPod at gmail.com. Do get in touch. We love to hear all your thoughts and comments. So, um, yeah, let us know what's what's going on. And we will be back for our round four proper catch up, uh, where we'll probably be dissecting a little bit more and more reflecting on uh, that mammoth uh, upset uh, that, that's already happened with Simona Halep losing. Um, so, yeah, we will be back um, tomorrow. So Monday, Monday evening. So watch out for that round four catch up. But uh, yeah, in the meantime, I'm going to let Kim get off to watch Rafa versus Corder. And I'm probably going to have some breakfast of my own as well. So um, we'll see you again for our round four catch up on Monday evening. See you shortly. <laughs>